Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, gorilla grafters, community fridges, splattering food, and nibbling on ice cream. How are you doing, Joshna? I am pretty well. How are you doing? I'm fine. The garden yeah. is planted. Oh, that's exciting. That's a hopeful, nice thing. Mm-hmm. It oh, always uh, nice. feels good. Yeah. It's, there's a bit of like uh, wealth and, and promise and hopefulness. Uh, that's really nice. Um, and this year we started from, because there is nothing else to do, started from seed. Usually I buy plants. You buy little plants. Okay. Um, but um, we decided to delve into our little seed stash. So it's uh, doubly satisfying. Oh, that's you so know, nice. You know, to have seen the plants go from nothing. Babies, oh, cracking those little babies open and the little eggshelly business on the inside is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very nice. And then sort of acclimating them to the, you know, starting growing them inside yeah. and then taking them outside every day. It's like this little, <laughs> pr- it's a, it's a different bonding level. weaning in indeed. All right. Well, listen, speaking of growing, uh, I found this bit that I am really excited about. And so I thought I'd bring it to our conversation. It's this uh, wonderful idea of gorilla grafters. So essentially, these lovely people are grafting fruit trees onto ornamental trees in cities. Um, and essentially what this means is, is a piece of a fruit tree is then literally attached to, they say it's a sort of tongue and groove uh, mechanism, uh, and then they tape them up and they monitor them to see about you know, growth and viability. But essentially it's they've just, uh, they've just uh, like the initiative is about food security, mm-hmm. but, uh, but there's clearly so much more involved about claiming space, um, having a commentary on why we have so many ornamental plants in cities and why we don't think about uh, planting, you know, plants that actually produce food, considering levels of food insecurity. Uh, so what do you, well, how did it strike you? What do you think about it? Uh, I, do, I do like the gorilla nature of it. And this idea of, you know, changing the environment, taking control of the environment and embellishing the environment is definitely something that right. I'm very pro. Uh, this being said, I, I just felt this particular approach was not one that, uh, you know, speaking from someone who has had fruit trees and has had to maintain fruit trees, most uh, notoriously a fig tree, which... Uh, I don't know if you've seen the the mess a fig tree makes. I have. If you don't, uh, if you don't, if you don't harvest pick those yes. figs on time, and they all cake to the uh, to the pavement. I just feel like this particularly initiative is not really sustainable. Like there's a there's a, I mean the trees are there to to clean the air, um, and there's a reason why they they plant trees that don't bear fruit because then someone has to pick the fruit right. or, or clean the, the sidewalk. And it is my understanding that this organization does uh, try to monitor and pick the pick the fruit. But I feel like this is just, you know, essentially setting up a problem that someone else is going to have to deal mm-hmm. with, A. Uh, and B, I just, I really don't feel personally that if I was walking down the street and one of the trees along the streets just randomly was growing an apple that I would in all confidence think, oh, there's an apple and grab right. that Here's fruit. A snack. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of other 
similar initiatives like Not Far uh, from the Tree yes. or these other things that you pointed out that I think are taking um, a much smarter approach that is more sustainable mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. you know, has some has some follow through. It's totally fair. Uh, it's totally fair. Perhaps perhaps what they need to do is is partner with an organization like Not Far From The Tree that monitors and harvests fruit. Uh, so at least there's a follow through there on that, right? But but even then, what are they going to say? Like, okay, walk three blocks, pick these three apples, then <laughs> uh, drive five blocks that way. And uh, there should be a pair or two on that tree. Like, Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's One ridiculous. branch worth of fruit is different than an entire tree worth. I hear you. That This is sensible reasoning. Uh, this is sensible. Uh, I'll play I love along the spirit here. behind it, but I yep. just feel like it it wasn't thought out. There was some talk about the fact that this perhaps is best understood as some sort of gardening graffiti. Yeah. Right. And if you understand that and eliminate the need for it to be a legitimate food security initiative, it's perhaps a bit more palatable. But let's talk about these other initiatives, which are yes. Fantastic. So not far from the tree uh, is a favorite of mine. Uh, I've been yes. connected to them for a while. Uh, and they are wonderful, um, founded by a lovely woman named Laura Rainsborough, who really, who saw the the mess, the crime scene on the ground, right? Apricots <laughs> in this city do a mighty fine job of messing up a sidewalk. Cherries, too. Can, Whoa, it's like uh. a crime scene for sure, right? With the, the red sort of splatter mm-hmm. of it all. And so uh, what Laura came up with is this idea where volunteers would, like a homeowner who had this unwieldy fruit tree, would connect with this organization, would pair them with a volunteer team that goes out to pick all of the fruit. And then a third of the fruit stays with the homeowner. A third goes to the volunteers who do the work. And the remaining third gets shared with a community organization. See, that I can get behind. Yeah. It is not far from the tree proper is just Toronto. There are other sort of fruit gleaning organizations uh, around the world, really. I think there's European ones and many in our friends in the States. Not far from the tree is just Toronto and just a section because uh, from the last time I, I checked in and understood they were also exclusively bike powered. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that that really sort of uh, that informs the spread in the distance that they can move on these trailer bikes with the big picker poles uh, and all of it. I have to say, I've been on a few picks uh, and it is the most joyful thing, right? When you can reach up and yank that down and then you see the big basket that you're left with and everybody's lugging home their beautiful uh, bags of pears. Not only that, but it's something some some people pay to do, right? You can pay yeah, to go apple true. picking or it's pay to, you know, we live in a city here. It's a, it's like a paid privilege it's to the do truth. these things. And it is a seasonal so, ritual for many, yeah. So I think in that sense, we could say it's a win-win in all three directions. Indeed. It's a win. Uh, uh, indeed. Just such a beautiful initiative. And I know certainly locally there's another initiative. There were a few years there where I was just traveling so much I couldn't plant my Mm -hmm. garden and my brother-in-law told me there's another organization in Toronto that if you have a patch of earth that you're not using they will come in and plant yes and do uh, similar work where they'll give the 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 landowner sounds like such a charge it's true right the person whose garden patch it is can we agree on that um they'll give them part of the food and then they'll take uh, part of the food again to, uh, yes, to communities uh, and this is fresh food to communities in need so such wonderful initiatives yeah in fact our friends at the stop was doing were doing something like this and they called it yimby which is yes in my backyard 
Oh, nice. <laughs> right, which uh, I thought was quite adorable. Right, people being like, "Yes, I have extra space. Come, use it. Grow some food and share it with everybody." Uh, and this, I, I mean, listen. Of course, to this point, if we really want to talk food security, these are the strategies that we need. Okay, Morella, have you heard the term? Hyper local food security. Nope, this is no. uh, this is new. It's super new to me, and so I heard about it in the context of community fridges, right? So which are seen, also new to me. Yes, it was new to me too. We've seen uh, community libraries, these sweet little things in mm-hmm. front of people's right for sharing of books, um, and I've even seen a few community pantries with yeah. some non-perishable stuff that can hang out, which is a lovely gesture. But now we're talking community fridges, right? And and the the one in, in the piece that I shared sort of happened by accident, where a dude just, this guy had surplus food that he just wanted to keep fresh, and then the community need kind of emerged around it. Uh, but I, like, to me, it seems like a dream. It seems like a really beautiful way for people to share food. It, it really is. And I have to say, and the, the gentleman who first put out the fridge acknowledged this as well, that the, your, the first thought is like, how is this going right, to turn right. out? Just putting a fridge full of food out there, is that just going to lead to, you know, mass confusion and right, uh, or, who or knows what madness else? of some yeah. sort, right. Uh, and I think the thing I love most is how well this is working. I know. It's really quite a beauty. I mean, it, I think to some degree is testament of the fact that we could trust people, uh, specifically hungry people, uh, to manage a thing and to manage a resource well, right? It's, I think we, get a, we make a lot of assumptions about what could go wrong in a situation like this, but we don't maybe think enough about how, how well it could work if everybody understands that they have an investment in keeping this thing moving and keeping right. it going. Well, right, well, you know, with the coronavirus, we have seen what happens when people who aren't used to being in need um, right. suddenly are, and there's, you know, toilet paper shortages and seed shortages right. and flower shortages every, you know. Um, so I don't think it's entirely unreasonable to be, nope. uh, you know, to, to, to be a little trepidatious, but I like, I found it so interesting that the fridge he, he mentioned is, is never empty because right. the demand is there. I'm sure there is a high demand, yep. but it's and this, it's just and this lovely piece to me. about how people were taking ingredients and then returning cooked food <gasps> with cooked food. Oh, I my heart started racing. What a lovely bit! Uh, and I like I I wouldn't have thought that far down the road, but how wonderful that that is existing and that people have taken those ingredients cook, and provided cooked food for whoever it is that that is sort of supporting or putting the fridge out there, you know, and making it available. Um, and that and that connects to uh, an important piece uh, the author in this piece brought up, which is that this is about solidarity, not charity. Yeah. And I really love that distinction, right? It is we, the collective, we are concerned about the food security of our community. And this is how we're going to do this, right? This is, this, is, this is how we think this problem can be solved. In the article, they talk about it like it's, it's nothing, but this has got to be a high upkeep situation. You totally. know, like I think about how many things in my fridge inadvertently oh, go yes. bad and or I can't remember when I, you know, when did I buy these eggs? 
you know, I'm, you know, and he does mention, I think they clean it every morning. They do, it sounds they like tweet it. out yep. the inventory, but I'm sure they also have to have measures in place to, you know, communicate to people, you know, this is when these eggs were bought yep. or this Some is all these labeling uh, and, and especially with the cooked food. So uh, it's just lovely seeing this kind of investment uh, in the community and in uh, your what was the term? Hyper-local? Hyper-local food security. Amazing. Right? Uh, I love it so much. I'm really getting excited about grassroots networks of people who care about each other. Right? That's it. That's yeah. what's going to get us through this. It's as simple as that. Uh, and I feel like I feel like I want to think about how I can get one of these beautiful fridges started because it makes a ton of sense. For sure. Alinea is in the news again. Indeed. Uh, very, very curious bit. I must admit, I, you know, I was reading this article and what really struck me was this food experience that they're creating for people to have at home. Yes. With the So uh, I must admit, I was not very familiar with Alinea when I first read the article and I'm hoping you might be able to provide some further insights. Definitely. But what I did see was this chef who usually creates this dessert uh, on the table. Yes. And the dessert consists of various custards and chocolate sauces and and berries, you know, nothing, you know, novel, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, let's say. But what is out of the ordinary is this presentation where it's like literally splattered on the table. Very Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock. Yes. Um, and then, you know, I think there's a big, the the main part of the dessert is then plonked on top and you end up with this, you know, this gorgeous splattered situation. And so for the 15th anniversary of Alinea, they decided to turn this into an at home experience. So you could yes. order out, this thing, which was the a plastic sheet of some There's sort that you can acetate, put down yes. and then all the little different containers. And there's a, a video on Instagram that coaches you through the, the proper technique, mm-hmm, which I mm-hmm. found particularly entertaining. I don't know. I had very like a lot of different thoughts and, and feelings about this. I mean, the first one was how interesting this is, because when you when usually when a restaurant does takeout they're you know, they're surrendering a lot of control right they're surrendering texture control temperature control they don't know if that person's going to go ahead and eat it or if they're going to put it in the fridge and then microwave it the next day yep uh and this is the opposite in in a way the opposite but in a way also you know creating this experience for people at home where they are treating the food that they take out differently and thinking about plating it yes and all that which i thought was really cool as long as i like blocked out the packaging which was like yes yes oh my way too many small plastic way too many solo cups it's the truth containers uh it really is so that um grant grant ackets is the name of the chef Mm -hmm. uh you know at alinea in chicago uh hugely famous um and he was the first to do this to offer this bit of theater with dessert that's plated right on the table and people mm-hmm. just get spoons and they eat right off of the table and everybody really effectively lost their minds the first time. Well, it's happened, so right? visceral. That's totally. A, yeah. And he's the kind of man, I think there's like edible balloons and all kinds of gorgeous things are happening in that menu. Um, and so 
when when I watched this in a video and he tells this whole story with a, with lots of like serious legitimacy, right? There's no tongue in cheek involved at all. And then he shows you, and when you when you actually see this man roll out the acetate and pick up the strawberry custard and just ch- you know what I mean, and he does a definitive swipe on the table or you know from a height or whatever it is. And there's a part of me that was imagining. Uh, you know, a family of four at home with it, pulling this off on their own yeah. kitchen tables, right? And and thinking, uh, yeah, that could be a ton of fun, uh, right? That could be a lot of fun. Or um, it could be maybe, may, like maybe that is not enough, right? If you're, just because you're doing that, if you're still doing it in your kitchen with your, you know what I mean? Without sort of right. the context of the restaurant and the starched white linens and the, all of it, is it the same experience? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I, f- I feel like it's it's probably not the same experience, but it's still a cool experience. Yeah, and that's true. And I don't, you know, I, I, he, this gentleman, I agree with you from the video, very cerebral human being. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 think he probably considered the very real possibility that people would have tons of fun instagramming their yes, results true uh and you know people are so used to instagramming other people's plating so it's really cool for them to now right. be sharing their own plating and and maybe appreciating in a different way the kind of work that's involved mm-hmm. in doing these things but yeah I, i'm gonna guess it's not the cheapest situation i'm sure not. but you know what a Uh, fun thing to do with the kids if it wasn't and i'm sure you can you know just grab some peanut butter and nutella and replicate and some marshmallows and replicate the situation well there is there is a sort of comedic full circle here because on one april fool's day a few years ago Mm -hmm. uh, alinea actually put out a video about their takeout Really? Right. And at the time, we had never imagined that a fine dining restaurant would ever consider takeout mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, obviously. And it was this hilarious visual of these like bags and bags and bags of things. And then all they printed the instructions off of the POS. And it was just like <laughs> long strips of paper with all these crazy instructions about like burn this rosemary and, you know, and yeah. all this crazy nonsense. And it was a joke. It was just an April Fool's Day and everyone was like, oh, good on Alinea for making fun of themselves that way, right? And so to see... Little did they know. The little did they know that in a few years ahead of time, they'd actually be doing this for real is amazing. Uh, the other piece that I am noting, because I've seen a couple of my other chef pals who are doing takeout, mm-hmm. um, and they've done these videos on Instagram to show people how to plate, right? How to, how to take things out of the out of the. This is all new box. to me. Right. This is this is a, a thing. thing that existed before? No, no. This is just this is this is a pandemic takeout thing because mm-hmm. restaurants that ordinarily wouldn't have done takeout are now doing it. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is because of the plating. Right. This is just not the vibe of this restaurant. So my friend JP uh, has restaurants in Galway, JP McMahon, and he was doing this. Uh, and so it was like a chocolate tart uh-huh. that had a little container of sour cream or something. Right. And so he's there with the tart and he takes it out and the dollop of the sour cream on the side. And then I saw this other like mushroom dish that had this like pickled sea asparagus and some other little something. And I remember he and I were, when I was in Ireland, we were joking around cause his daughters were watching these unboxing videos, <laughs> right? There's these wow. videos of people unwrapping gifts. 
yeah. or whatever. And apparently, yeah. we are really excited about watching people open boxes. I don't right? know who and is, he, but it's a real I thing. I have no idea, but I think young people are. Yeah. Uh, and so he, we and I were being like really like hilarious and dismissive. And then I saw this video, and I was noting how curious it was that I, like it said, chocolate tart on the box. And I still sat there watching the video being like, what's inside? What's gonna, <laughs> what you got right and so i sent him a message saying wasn't it just a year and a half ago that we were you know rolling our eyes about unboxing videos and now you're shooting some of your very own uh and he he obviously had a good laugh in return and so there's there's a weird little cultural pulse involved in all of this and the fact that the way chefs are making this work is this little explanation about like here when you order the sauteed mushrooms here's how to put it together in your house again. Yeah, and wouldn't it be interesting if this was yet another side effect of, uh, or another effect of this uh, isolation period on the food industry, just a totally. bigger appreciation on the consumer side of how to treat the food once it's it's brought home. There's something there, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not saying you should plate everything that, you know, that you... Sometimes just eat that burger out of the paper container and that's fine. Um, But at least, you know, putting more thought into that side of things. Uh, And and that that experience is about more than just a visual look. uh Uh-huh. Right? That's about how you eat it and how the mouthfuls, you know, come together depending on how you've planted it. Josh and I came across this article, and I I just have to mention that the article was was planned out by this low calorie ice cream brand. So okay, it's important it, it, to co- note. It colored a little bit my my view of it, but you know, different companies are always looking for interesting hooks to get people to write articles. And what this particular company did is they hired a sensory scientist yes. to teach us to properly eat ice cream. Tell me more. Are you ready for the instructions? Uh, please, please. Okay. Uh, the first step I actually think is an excellent step, which is take your ice cream out 15 minutes before you're going to eat it. Right. Um, I, I mean, unless your freezer is not, my freezer is not very cold, so I can pull it right out. But, you know, there's the, some truth in the fact that if something is too cold, you can't appreciate mm-hmm. its flavor. Mm-hmm. Also, the texture is... Yeah, it's not easy on the teeth. Yeah, Uh, and then it crosses into I'm not so sure. (laughs) So, so here is the apparently the proper way to eat ice cream. Let's have it. Uh, Scoop out half a teaspoon. Oh no! (laughs) Half a teaspoon. Uh, Put the teaspoon upside down on your tongue, which I also like because you're getting that tongue contact. Uh, Move the ice cream around. Uh, inhale through your mouth, which I'm assuming is that uh, that wine technique. Of, yeah, you know that totally. like wine slurping, 100%. which uh, I am not entirely convinced works with ice cream, but uh, I haven't tried it. Um, and then this, you guys, you should be keeping this half a teaspoon of ice cream in your mouth for 12 seconds <laughs> to fully appreciate this flavor. It's insane. Before moving on to your next half a teaspoon. Come on. It's ludicrous. Listen, I understand that if you are evaluating this ice cream Mm -hmm. and you need to take very careful and detailed notes on its flavor profile, this might be the proper technique. But 
I don't know. I feel like it's taking the, the joy out of the entire 100%. <laughs> I am with you. As somebody who has enjoyed sitting with an ice cream cone, just licking away to my heart's content. Uh, why? Like the whole point of an ice cream cone is that a spoon need not be involved. Right. Right. The yes. delight of just cone your mouth and you're dealing with it. And um, uh, if you're going half a teaspoon at a time in your licks, yeah. that's going to melt all over your hand. All over. All over. Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. It's really laughable. Um and I mean, I tried to understand. I think you're right to point out that the the diet angle is important because this is like if your if your portion is only a half a cup right. of something and it's in a bowl because you can't eat the cone. Yeah, right. The cone is too many carbs, uh, so it's in a bowl and this is very. So you want to like maximize all of the pleasure. It se- it seems to really it, be right? encouraging disordered eating habits. I think so too, uh, especially because. It's not just milk and cream in there, I likely in their sort of diet friendly ice cream. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. And the reason that's important is that real milk and cream will actually do a beautiful linger on your tongue. Good right. Point. Real milk fat will actually do something impressive worth paying attention to on your tongue. But any sort of simulated facsimile uh, will be quite a disappointment after uh, three seconds, let's say. But, <laughs> so well, maybe it's because you're not enjoying sadness. it properly, Josh. No? Oh, good point. <laughs> good point. Um, uh, out of all of it, I thought to myself, I was like, what's the most useful piece here? And I was like, the use- most useful piece is step number one. Yeah. Right? Is the thing that people don't connect to, which is that flavors are muted in the cold. Yeah. So warm them up a little bit and they will blossom in a way that is a bit more enjoyable. Yeah. And I, I also appreciate if you're using a spoon you know, put it, put the ice cream down on your tongue instead of yes. putting the spoon on your tongue. Oh, it's all going to melt in there the anyway. the of your mouth. Yeah. But there's something nice about the intentional delivery to the tongue. But I also feel like that's instinctive. I was thinking about when I eat ice cream, I always, fl- that that spoon gets I do flipped too. around. Yep, I uh, do too. Every Our bodies know how to eat ice cream. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the children inside of us knew how to eat ice cream. That's <laughs> um, but here you go. If anyone wants to uh, take it to the next level, or, right, and be or, really thoughtful about it, or conduct an odd experiment, uh, I, hey, these are times of boredom. Indeed, you know? this is occupied. <laughs> Give it a shot. Ice cream tasting in quarantine. <laughs> if you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at Patreon.com/HotPlatePod. HotPlate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HotPlatePod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. HotPlate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.